I'm going to jump right into the word of the Lord tonight because I sense the anointing of God to preach the gospel tonight, and I want to honor the anointing of the Lord. I want to, one of our core values is inspiration, and inspiration is simply doing what God tells you to do when he tells you to do it, doing what God moves you to do when he moves you to do it, and learning to discern when that is. And what I'm discerning right now is that God wants us to go right into the word of the Lord without further ado. And I want you to know that the word of the Lord has been burning in my heart this week. The word of the Lord for tonight has been burning in my heart this week. Now, I know we're in the midst of our financial one thing, but there's some things that are foundational to our financial one thing that are important for us to get that don't actually directly correlate or relate to our financial one thing. I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And as you're turning there, I'm just going to read it. And I'm going to tell you what it says. It says this, His divine power. Actually, I don't want you to turn there. Close your Bibles, turn off your phones, turn off your tablets. Listen to me. Look at me. Look at me. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Say that with me. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Say it again. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and goodness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and goodness. Actually, by his own glory and goodness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Say it. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Say all of that together. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. One more time. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Say it again. Listen, I, I want you to learn. This is, this is part of learning unity. Part of learning unity is learning to wait for each other when you're saying the scripture together. It's not a race. The person who says it the fastest isn't getting a cookie. So, so try it again, but I want you to say it together. Go. His divine power has given us everything we need. There is nothing that we need that is missing. And everything we need has been given to us by his divine power. That is, everything that we need comes to us through a transcendent source, not through a natural source. And that means that both the temporal things that we need and the eternal things that we need 
are all afforded to us by his divine power. When I'm talking about temporal things, I'm talking about things that include money, a job, a home, a car, friends, family, everything that you need for life and godliness. See, we know that everything we need for godliness comes through his divine power. Because we know we cannot live a godly life unless God empowers to powers us to do so. But there is a common misconception in the body of Christ that what we need for life, we are to procure through natural means. That is, we get it by working hard, by practicing principles of stewardship, by going out and getting a job. And I'm not saying it's wrong to go out and get a job, but I'm saying even the ability to go get a job comes to you through his divine power. What I'm saying is that everything comes through his divine power. And when we're talking about our financial one thing, the thing that I want you to grasp more than anything else is that even your money comes from God. It comes as a divine endowment for life and for godliness. God, when he begins to release resources into your life, he says, you need this. Say, what do I need it for? You need it for life and for godliness. You need it. It's what you need for life and godliness. And the word of God promises that everything we need has been given to us by his divine power. Everything that we need for life and godliness, it's been given to us. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness through the knowledge of him. And this is what I want you to get tonight. Everything that God gives, he gives through the knowledge of him. Now, you and I, in the, in the natural, we can receive gifts from a stranger. My wife and I went out to dinner back in 1999, was it? No, 2000. Four or five, four or five months before, we, about six, seven months before we got uh, married. I almost said pregnant. Married. <laughs> before we got married. I took her to dinner at the nicest restaurant in Los Angeles. It was at the Biltmore Hotel or the... It was one of those hotels. And, and it was... A, it was, it was a, I, I, I researched the top ten restaurants in Los Angeles. And I got in to number one. Or was it number one or number two? But it was, it was up there. And we had like a five-course meal... And, and I, you know, just the parking was out of my price range. When, when we were pulling into the parking, it said it was going to be $5 every 15 minutes. And I knew we'd be in there for about two and a half hours. I was like, the parking is going to be $50. I almost turned around and said, we're going to a nice Scottish restaurant that I know. You know, McDonald's. <laughs> you know, we'll get some French fruit at Jacques in the box, right? You know, I mean, we're going to go get something, you know. But I said, no, 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 we're going in here. And I, w- I knew I was going to spend every, every dollar that I had to my name, pull all of my slaves out of the cotton field and spend them on this, on this meal, right? And, uh, and uh, at the end of the meal, I, I'm, I'm, I'm adding it up in my, in my head, and I knew that we had exceeded the $200 mark on this one meal. But I was so desperate to show this woman how much I loved her and how much I wanted to marry her that I was willing to give even my life. I I even bought her a dress and some nice jewelry before the dinner started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's how we do it. 
Young single men, take notes. But I, I, I got to be honest, I was sweating bullets while I, I was sitting there at the table. And uh, when we got to the end of the meal, the waiter came over and said, you guys have a good evening. I said, uh, thank you, we will have a good evening. Um, up until the moment you give me the check. And he said, well, your check's already been paid. I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, no, no, that's got to be a mistake. Because I just figured, you know, somebody at some other table had paid their bill, and he thought we had paid our bill. I said, no, 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 nobody paid our bill. Go check again. He went back. He came back and said, no, your bill is paid. I said, no, I didn't pay the bill yet. Go back and check again. He went back and came back, and he said, look, I talked to the manager, and he said, someone came in and signed for your table and paid your bill. He said, oh, and by the way, do you have any parking that needs to be validated? I said, hallelujah. Yeah. Yes, Lord. I can almost hear the organ turn on. I handed him that parking stub, and he validated that parking stub, and I paid $5 for, for that $250 evening. That was a gift from a stranger. We can receive gifts from strangers to this day. 14 years have gone by, and I still don't know who did that. Maybe when I get to heaven one day, I'll find out who did that. But let me tell you something. God does not send gifts from a stranger. Everything that he gives comes through the knowledge of him. That is, as you get to know him, his divine power begins to release into your life everything that you need for life and godliness. And that means that if there's anything in your life that you're missing, that you need, that you're not getting, it's coming from a deficit of the knowledge of him. Amen. Not a deficit of divine favor. It means you simply need to get to know him a little better. Meaning he's got more to release into your life. He's got more resources that you're going to need for life and godliness. But you've got to wake up every morning and say, if I need more, I better get to know him more. Because he doesn't give gifts from a stranger. And when I stop and say, God is getting a little too strange for me, that's when the blessings stop flowing into my life. That's when the resources stop flowing in my life because I've allowed him to become a strange man to me. The knowledge of him. The knowledge of him. The knowledge, even the gift of salvation is not a gift from a stranger. Because he's got to introduce himself to you. See, that's why we say it's a relationship, not a religion. When it's about religion, it's gifts from a stranger. Religion is about obeying a certain list of rules, do's and don'ts, and things are supposed to go better in my life from this stranger in heaven who I don't know, but I've got the blueprint because I've got the principles. But when you come to Christ, you get more than principles. You get more than do's and don'ts. You get more than, than do not taste and do not touch and, and taste and touch. What you get is a relationship, and it's through that relationship that you receive the gift of eternal life. Jesus said it in John chapter 17, verse 3. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, not a gift that is separate from the giver. Salvation is not a gift that can be experienced in isolation from the Savior. Salvation is the Savior. That is being saved is being in relationship with the Savior. It is knowing the Savior. And it's knowing Him from the depths of your soul. Eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life is not feeling God. Eternal life is knowing God. 
See, so many people are talking about feeling God. I want to feel God, and I want to feel his presence, and it's wonderful to feel him, but you got to know him beyond your feelings because you can't stop knowing him the moment your feelings go away. See, nobody can maintain the same feeling for the rest of your life, but you can maintain the same knowing for the rest of your life. You can wake up on your worst day and say, I know that my Redeemer lives, and I'll stand with him on that day. You can wake up on your worst day when everything falls apart and say, but I know him, but I know him, but I know him. I know, I know, and I don't care if you feel God or not. My prayer is not that you'd feel him. My prayer is that you'd know him. That you would know him. That you would know him. Everything we need for life and godliness flows through the knowledge of him. And watch what happens when we begin to know him. Through these, he has given us his good and precious promises. His promises flow through the knowledge of him. When we're talking about standing on the promises, you better be standing in the embrace of his bosom if you're going to stand on the promises you got to understand that all of his promises are yes in Christ, and that means you need to get in Christ in order to stand up on the promises. The promises are not yes outside of Christ. They're only yes in Christ. And so you've got to go deeper in Christ in order to even lay claim to the promises. It was the prodigal son that thought he could still have the promises outside of the house of the father. But outside of the house of the father, the inheritance of the father began to wither and die in his very hands. But when he said, I will return to my father, when he came to his senses and went back home to the father, he found that even though he had squandered the inheritance, when he got back home, the inheritance was still intact because he could not take anything from the father that could ever deplete the father. And so through the knowledge of the father, even when he felt he had lost all, everything could be restored to him. That's how powerful the knowledge of God is. The knowledge of God is so powerful that even when you stray so far from it that you feel you never return, in a moment your whole inheritance can be restored to you. When you feel like you've messed up so bad that the Father will never take you back, in a moment your inheritance can be restored to you. You know what I love about that story of the prodigal son? is that the Father met him on the way. said while he was still a long way off, the Father saw all the Father was looking for in the distance was for his heart to turn back home. And the Father covered the distance. He wasn't waiting for the son on the porch. He left the porch. And that means he had the ring sitting right by the porch. That means he had the robe right by the door. That means he had shoes waiting right by the door. And he was standing at the doorway looking down the road. And when he saw his son in the distance, he grabbed the robe. He grabbed the shoes. He grabbed the ring. And he ran to his son and put the robe on his shoulders and the ring on his fingers and the shoes on his feet. The father is waiting to restore our inheritance as we come back into the knowledge of him. The knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is more than the knowledge about God. The knowledge of God is not theological in nature. It is not doctrinal. You can know every Christian doctrine that has ever been espoused in the history of the Christian church, and you can delineate between that which is false and that which is accurate with 100% accuracy and still not have a lick of the knowledge of God. You can sing every single song in the arsenal of the hymnody of the Christian church going all the way back to Gethsemane where they sang a hymn and went out from that place. And you can know that song and know every song that's been sung between that day and this and still not have a lick of the knowledge of God. 
The knowledge of God is not doctrinal. It is not religious. The knowledge of God is, does not consist in the notes that you get from a good sermon. The knowledge of God doesn't even come to you through memorizing scripture because Satan knows a lot of scripture, but he doesn't know the Lord. Are you hearing me? Matter of fact, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you find the words of eternal life. But those are the very scriptures that speak of me, yet you will not come to me that you may have life. The knowledge of God comes not just through hearing the word, but through embracing it in your heart. The proverb says in Proverbs chapter 2, my son, if you would receive my words and hide my commands within you, inclining your ear unto wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And if you cry out after knowledge, if you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek them as silver and search for them as for hid treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. You see, the knowledge of God is precious, but it must be pursued. The knowledge of God is precious, but it must be pursued. The knowledge of God, young single gentleman, is like a good woman. She's beautiful. A beautiful young woman must be pursued. She's not just going to fall into your arms and melt. She's not just going to smile real big. She might not have even smiled the moment you walked in the room and saw her. She might have even thought highly of you. She might have, he's cute, but I ain't smiling. I'm not going to give him that idea. You got to pursue her. You got to win her heart. That's how the knowledge of God is. You've got to pursue the knowledge of God. That's what the prophet Hosea said in Hosea chapter 6 verse 3. He said, "Let us know. Let us press on to know to acknowledge him." He said, "Let us pursue the knowledge of God. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of God, for his goings forth are established like the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like spring rains." He said it in Jeremiah chapter 29, first verse 11. He says, "For I know the thought that I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. But then in verse 12, he says, then you will come to me and you will seek me and search for me with all of your heart and I will be found of you. He says, seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. God is waiting for us to seek him and search for him with all of our heart. See, for too long we thought, as soon as I say the prayer, Jesus, forgive me of my sin." And come into my life and make me a child of... You know, the sinner's prayer. Saying the sinner's prayer is all we need for the knowledge of God. It begins the relationship. It doesn't consummate it. It's not the end all of the relationship. It's like standing at the altar with my wife and saying, I promise to love, honor, and cherish you till death do us part. I do. And then walking away and never talking to her again. The vow was not the relationship. The vow began the relationship. The vow was the commitment, but a commitment and a relationship are two different things. The commitment is what holds us together, but the relationship is about a walk, walking with each other every day. And when we're talking about the knowledge of God, we're talking about walking with God. We're talking about walking with God. Are you with me tonight? Tonight, I sense that God has given me weapons that are not of this world, but they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. That God has put a word in my heart that is designed to cast down vain imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Because what's happened in many of your lives is that things have begun to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Things that seem more important, things that seem more urgent, things that seem more pressing, things that seem more important to you right now, they're beginning to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. But tonight God has put a word in my mouth that has the power to cast down vain imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and to take into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. God wants you to know him. 
Now, I want, I want to look at something. <clears throat> I never saw this before. First of all, in Romans chapter 1, you know that, that passage in Romans chapter 1, that harrowing passage, I believe it starts in verse 18, when it says, the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and wickedness of men. It goes on to say, for though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor were thankful. But their foolish hearts were darkened. It began with the knowledge of God, but the knowledge of God was not followed by glorifying him as God or being thankful. The knowledge of God must be followed by worship and thanksgiving. In other words, the knowledge of God cannot be taken for granted. Once it is obtained, it must be stewarded. It must be treated like a precious thing. But it says here in Romans chapter 1 that they knew God, but they neither glorified him as God nor were thankful. And because of that, their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to become wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for that of man and of beast. Therefore, God gave them over. And it talks about all of the things that God God gave them over to, but it picks it up again here in verse 28. And it says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they might do what ought not to be done. They did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. I want you to see that for a moment. Now I want you to juxtapose this against Philippians chapter two, verse five and following. In Philippians 2.5, the scripture says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, in you, considered it not robbery to be equal with God, meaning he did not think it worthwhile to retain his position of equality with God. But he emptied himself. He emptied himself and became of no reputation. He took the very form of a servant. In other words, what he did not think it was worthwhile to grasp was his position of high authority and honor. But these on the other side did not think it was worthwhile to retain their relational knowledge of God. They emptied themselves. Just as Christ emptied himself. And isn't it funny that what we never will give up is our place of authority If we get any clout, I'm not giving it up. If we have any seniority, nobody's taking that away from me. I'm not giving up my place of honor, but I'll surrender the knowledge of God in a second. Jesus says, nothing takes the knowledge of God away from me. I and my Father are one. I don't care if I've been ministering all day. I'll pray all night because nothing is taking the knowledge of God from me. But my position of authority and power and the, and the the prerogatives that go with my position, my status, I'll lay that down in a second. I'm not about title. I don't care if people honor me or don't honor me. But the one thing I'm, gonna, I'm never going to let go of is the knowledge of God. But it says they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God can happen in a moment, but what happens in a moment must be retained. That is, there is a stewardship to the knowledge of God. And what tends to happen at churches is that people have encounters with God. In which the knowledge of God was transmitted through God's power. Because whenever the power of God is being released, it's always released through the knowledge of him. So if there's a release of power, there was at the same time a release of knowledge. So you cannot say, I did not have any knowledge of God. I only experienced the power of God. No, the power of God only flows through the knowledge of him. That way I don't have to do it again. (laughs) 
But once the knowledge of God has begun to flow into your life, everything that God reveals must be stewarded. You've got to learn how to retain the knowledge of God. How to retain it. How to hold on to it. I love when the Proverbs talks about wisdom and it says, Wisdom, how much better to get wisdom than gold? Wisdom is better than rubies. The scripture says, buy the truth and don't sell it. Buy the truth and sell it not. you got to keep it. you got to retain it. When you get gold and rubies, you retain it. You put it in a safe place. You treasure it. You won't let anything take it away. But the Proverbs said, how much better to get wisdom than rubies? How much better to get wisdom than rubies? Uh, uh, Both Peter and James say that your faith is of greater worth than gold. Meaning if God came to you and says, you have a choice, Joseph. I'll give you great faith or I'll give you great gold. You should take the faith. And the sad truth is that most of us, we take the gold in a second. Lord, we can work on my faith. (laughs) I'll probably never get this gold again. (laughs) The faith thing, we can work on that, right? (laughs) We must learn to treat the knowledge of God as a precious thing. As a precious thing, we got to wake up every morning and we've got to hold on to it. We got to clutch it at night like you're clutching a pillow. Mm. That's why David said in Psalm 39, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O Lord. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they're more in number than the sands of the sea. When I awake, I'm still with you. This is when I wake. David says, I clutch on to the thoughts of God like it's a pillow in the night. And I cling to it and I hold on to it all night long. And when I wake up, I'm still holding on to his words. And he said, how precious are your thoughts? Not my thoughts about you, but your thoughts. And when he's talking about the thoughts of God, he's talking about the mind of God that is revealed in the word of God. Because remember God said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55.10, For my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. But then he said, as the rain comes down from heaven and does not return until it replenishes the earth, providing seed for the sower and bread for food. By the way, we've got to talk about seed and bread. Because one of the problems, hey, what's going on here? One of the great problems, one of the great problems is that believers don't know how to differentiate between seed and bread. See, God gave you seed and you were supposed to plant it, but you ate your seed. And that's why you don't have a harvest. People eat their seed when they take their tithe and give it to Santa Claus at Christmas time. People eat their seed when they take their tithe and give it to Nordstrom and give it to McDonald's and in and out. You just ate your seed and now you can't accept, expect a harvest because you ate your seed. You got to learn to differentiate between seed and bread. But anyway, that's just a, a free uh, uh, highlight of our financial one thing. But he said, as the rain comes down from heaven and does not return until it replenishes the earth, providing seed for the sower and bread for food, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. Literally, he says, my, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, as the heavens are higher than the earth. But my word comes down and replenishes the earth like the rain comes down and replenishes the earth. In other words, he says, when I give you my word, I give you my thoughts. 
When I send my word, I take my thoughts, which are higher, and I send it down below with my word. Just like the rain takes the resources of the heavens and uses it to replenish the earth, my word takes the resources of the heavens and uses it to replenish the earth. And so when you begin to meditate on the words of God, you're meditating on the thoughts of God. David says, how precious are your thoughts to me? How precious also are your thoughts to me? If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sands of the sea. When I awake, I'm still with you. Now, here's the thing that I want us to understand today. The knowledge of God is the foundation for holiness. Holiness is not a human achievement. So if any of you are thinking, I got to get clean... I got to get clean. Forget it. It ain't going to happen. You can't get clean. You can't clean yourself. You are stained. We need to turn this monitor off right here. Somebody, please. You are stained and you cannot clean the state. There's no stain remover that can remove a stain from your soul. And each time you and I sin, We're putting a state, it's like taking a permanent marker and marking it all over your soul. And then trying to wash yourself is like trying to take some soap and water and wash out what was written. You know, my daughter, when we were living at a a particular house where the the dressers did not belong to us, (laughs) took a black permanent marker. And started drawing pictures all over the dressers. And I tell you that there was no cleanser in all the world that could remove the stain that was left by that permanent marker. I'm telling you that not one of us in this place has the power to remove the sickness of sin from our own soul. But what I want you to know is that holiness is the result of knowing the Lord. That is, as you begin to know the Lord, the knowledge of God begins to set you free from every power of sin and every form of bondage. It simply comes by drawing closer to the Lord, never by focusing on sin. You will never get free from sin by focusing on it. You only get free from sin by focusing on the Lord. you got to set your mind and heart on knowing the Lord and forget everything else. And he's going to cleanse your way. David asked the question, how can a young man cleanse his way? He answered his question by giving heed to your word. Not by giving heed to his way, but by giving heed to your word. He said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And Peter says this here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and following. He says, through these, he's given us his good and precious promises so that by them we might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. How do you escape the corruption that's in the world through lust? By trying real hard? No, his divine power. And it flows through his knowledge. And the knowledge of him brings about a knowledge of his promises. When God makes himself known to you, the first thing he makes known is his promises. And you know what he promises? He promises, he says, in that day no one will say to his mother, know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their lawless deeds no more. 
God's promise. He says, they will all know me. They will all know me. Listen, I don't care what you're going through right now. God has promised you're going to know me. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. You will know the Lord. Now watch this. Exodus chapter 5. I never saw this before today. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses stands before Pharaoh for the first time and says, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. And look at verse 2. Pharaoh responds saying, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? You see that? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Translation, how can I obey him when I don't know him? You want me to obey him and I don't know him? Who is the Lord? Who is this Yahweh that commands me to let my... Let me tell you something. You cannot obey one of the commandments of the Lord until you know him. And this is why I've always said that you never, ever try to take sin out of the life of an unbeliever until you put Jesus in their life. You never go, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be sleeping around. You shouldn't be using that kind of language. You shouldn't be drinking. Why? They don't know the Lord. That's why they get so mad when you say that foolishness. Well, who is this Lord? Why should I obey him? I don't even know him. But let me tell you something. If, if the absence of the knowledge of the Lord is the foundation for disobedience, then the knowledge of the Lord is the foundation for obedience. Meaning as you begin to know him, as you begin to know him, you naturally begin to obey him. You begin to desire to obey him. That's what it means when Paul says that it is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. See, most of us have thought that obeying God is simply about battling our will and doing the opposite of what we want to do. I want to do this, but God wants me to do this. Let me tell you something. There is a deeper place. There is a place in the knowledge of God when he begins to work in you not only to do, but to will and to do of his good pleasure, where he begins to transform your will so that what you desire is what he desires. And it's all found in that place that we call the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. Let us press on to know him. Let us press on to know him. His going forth is like the dawn. God said this in Hosea chapter 6 verse 6. He said, for I desire mercy. Listen to this. You've got to hear this. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Wait, wait, wait. Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. Hold on. You got to check this out. This, this scripture is about to slap you upside the head. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Did you hear what God just said? He said, I'd much rather you know me than even praise me. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'd much rather you know me than worship me. Did you hear that? He said, I desire the the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. More than sacrifice. More than you singing a bunch of songs. I mean, it's great. But I want more for you than that you would sing to me and praise me and worship me and give me offerings and give me your money. I want more than your sacrifice. I want you to know me. That's what I desire. I desire. I desire the knowledge of God. 
He says, I want them to know me more than anything. Do you hear the heart of God? That they may know me. That they may know me. In another place, he said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Not lack of feeling, lack of knowledge. Not lack of behavior, lack of knowledge. Not, and not academic knowledge. I'm talking about the kind of knowledge. In the Hebrew, the word to know is yada. Adam knew Eve and she conceived. It's not an academic knowledge that can be obtained in a book. It's the kind of knowledge that's only obtained in a personal, intimate encounter. God wants you to know him. And I want to give you a couple of promises. Isaiah 11, 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water cover the seas. You know, one day the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of God. But between now and that day, I want at least my heart to be filled with the knowledge of God. I want to walk in the knowledge of God. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul prays that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Are you increasing in the knowledge of God? Can you say you know him better today than you knew him yesterday? Can you say that you're walking more closely with him? You know, the Bible says Enoch walked with God and then he was not. He walked with God and then he was no more. That is, he walked so close with God every day, just a little bit closer. Every day, just a little bit closer. God, all I'm asking is you let me walk a little bit closer today than I did yesterday. Just a little bit closer. Just every day, just a little bit closer. It says Enoch walked with God 300 years. For 300 years, that man walked with God. And it says, and then he was not. God said, you got a little too close. I'm going to have to take you home right now. (laughs) Sorry, but I can't wait another. You know what? God is longing to take you and I up. He wants to take us. He says, Enoch, I can't wait another second. got to take you right now. They'll never find your body (laughs) because I took it. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Pastor Daniels told me one day, he said, I'm not going out like everybody else. I'm going out like Enoch. (laughs) We got to get that in our minds and hearts. He said, nobody's believing for that anymore. Nobody's believing to walk with God that close. He says, we got to start believing for greater things. We got to believe. Listen, you're so busy believing for a greater car that you stop believing for a greater knowledge of God. Look, we got to contextualize this whole financial one thing, the whole process. It's not about setting our hearts on money. You know, Tupac said, I keep my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Finger on the trigger with my hand on the nine. Let me tell you something. I keep my mind on my maker and my maker on my mind. Finger in my Bible, reading line by line. Come on, somebody. You got to learn how to live like that. Come on, somebody. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. I'm laughing because my mother was telling me, she said she grew up in the Church of God in Christ, and she said they'd have these youth meetings, and elder so-and-so would sit there and say, 
You young people, you young people going to the movie theater, sitting in the seat of the scornful. Sitting in, you don't be going to the amusement park and sitting in the seat of the scornful. And my mother said she would raise her hand in church and she'd say, none of us can ever go to the DMV or the supermarket anymore because that's the seat of the scornful. He said, shut up, Diane. Just sit down and shut up. <laughs> Just sit down and shut up. <laughs> If you look at Psalm chapter 1, it's not about what the man abstains from. It's about what the man practices. He does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He does not sit in the seat of the scornful. He does not walk in the counsel, does not, uh, whatever, walk in the way of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night, day and night and night. You need to get free from something. I don't care what it is. I don't care how deep it is. There's only one way out. Meditating on the word of God. Meditating. Getting that word in you. Learning to dwell with him. Learning to dwell with him. You spend enough time with him and stuff will fall off of you that you never thought you could ever pry off of you. Stuff you're trying to surgically cut off of you is just going to fall off of you. Stuff you're trying to pry off of you with a crowbar but you find it sticking to you. Stuff that you thought got some super glue and stuck to you and it'll never come off. You start walking with God and all of a sudden you see stuff falling off of you everywhere. How did that fall off? It's because of the presence of the Lord. And when I'm talking about the presence of the Lord, I'm not talking about a feeling. See, we've equated the presence of the Lord to goosebumps. We've equated the presence of the Lord to hair standing on the back of your neck. We've equated the presence of the Lord to tingles. Let me tell you something. He's greater than goosebumps. I'm talking about the God who is greater than goosebumps. He's greater than the tingles. He's greater than than a feeling. He's a knowing. He's a knowing. This is eternal life. This is eternal life, knowing God, knowing God, knowing God. And I'm telling you that God is inviting us to know him. Did you hear what Paul said over there in Philippians chapter three, verse nine, 10 and following? He says, I want to know Christ. He says, whatever was to my profit, I count as loss. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Isn't it interesting that Paul is using the word want? The dude who wrote 16 books of the New Testament is saying, I want to know him. The dude that saw him on the road to Damascus and was knocked off his donkey and blinded for three days. Now, I've had some great revelations, but let me tell you, I've never had a revelation so powerful that I was physically blind for three days after it. I mean, that's some light. I've seen the light of God, but it never blinded my natural eyes. This went beyond a vision. When you have a vision, you're seeing something in the spirit. Not even with your natural eyes. You're seeing it with your spiritual eyes. And there is a a type, when we talk about the five senses, there is a spiritual set of senses that allows you to see things with your spirit that you don't see with your natural eyes. And when you begin to cultivate that spiritual awareness, the things that you see in the spirit become more real than the things that you see with your natural eyes. But Paul had a revelation that went beyond his spiritual senses. It overtook his natural senses as well. I mean, that's revelation. When what he saw in the spiritual realm was so powerful that it, it broke over into the natural realm and overtook his senses and he had to be led around. He was blind for three days. That is revelation. And that dude who saw Jesus that way said, I want to know him. Oh, that I might know him. That I, might, I mean, the Moses 
who met with God at the burning bush, who saw the 10 plagues on Egypt, who took seven journeys up and down Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and 20, who saw the parting of the Red Sea and the fire on the mountain and heard the voice of God. You see him in Exodus 33 saying, oh, but let me see your glory. Well, what is it that you've been seeing? He says, no, no, no. See, the ones who know him best are the ones who hunger the most. The what the, the listen, the lack of hunger comes from a lack of knowledge. John Piper said it. He said, if you do not hunger and thirst for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you've nibbled too long at the table of the of the world. Your soul is so stuffed with small things that there's no room for the great. I'm talking about listen, God wants to awaken your hunger. Awaken your thirst to know him awaken it. Sometimes when I wake up in the morning and pray, I just wake up and I say, wake up soul, wake up. I command my soul to wake up. Lord, awaken my soul. Awake. Listen, you got to command your soul to wake up because sometimes when you get up in the morning, you don't want to pray. And it means that you're so far from the knowledge of God at that moment that you think you don't know him, but you got to remind yourself in that moment. I may not know. I may not feel him, but I know him. I may not feel him, but I know him. And I got to stir up my heart to pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Know the Lord. Let us pursue the knowledge of God. If there's one revival I want to see sweep over this church, overtaking every heart and every mind, it is the desire to pursue the knowledge of the Lord. To pers- a revival of pursuit. Pursuing the knowledge of God. And let me tell you something. This revival cannot be scheduled on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. This revival does not take place in a building. It only takes place in the heart. Because you can come to the house of God and sing and not desire him at all. But when God wakes up a desire for him, it'll wake you up in the middle of the night. It'll keep you up late and wake you up early. It'll drive you to your knees in the middle of the day. I'm talking about a revival of the desire to pursue the Lord, a desire to know the Lord, a revival of knowledge so that at least we can say that Living Hope Christian Center is an eschatological sign of things to come because the day is coming when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. But from this day on, at least I want people to say 4550 San Pablo Avenue is filled with the knowledge of God. I'm talking about when you walk in sweet E, that place is filled with the knowledge of God. It's only 2000 square feet, but it's filled with the knowledge of God. You want to know the Lord, just walk in there. Last thing I want to give you Proverbs chapter nine, verse 13. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy one is understanding. See, oftentimes we pursue understanding instead of the knowledge of the Holy one. I want to understand this and I want to understand this and I don't get this and I don't get that. I've got questions and maybe I can pursue, pursue the Lord after I get my questions answered. But, but the Bible says the knowledge of the Holy one is understanding. And it means that you never understand all of the intellectual inquiry in the world will not bring about understanding of the deep things. The deep things are only understood in the knowledge of the Holy one. Knowing God is understanding. Amen. Now, now the psalmist talked about it in Psalm 77, I believe it was, when he talked about, he says, um, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, as, he says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my foot almost slipped. He said, why did my foot almost slip? Because I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
See, they got no cares in the world. Everything goes right for them. They don't have any sickness in their body. Every investment of theirs flourishes and they get rich. Meanwhile, me, shoot, I got rejected by my parents. I lost my job. My woman left. I mean, he's like, I mean, he's like, everything fell apart in my life. And I'm sorry. And he says, vainly, I've washed my hands in innocence. And he says, when I thought of this, he says, when I thought of this, it, it, it brought me torment. He says, but then I stepped into the sanctuary. When he's talking about stepping into the sanctuary, he's not talking about a physical sanctuary. He's talking about coming into that place of the knowledge of God. He says, all of a sudden, I left behind my questions, and I came into that place of intimacy with God. And I said, God, I got questions, and I don't have answers, but I don't care about the questions or the answers. All I care about is knowing you. But he says, when I stepped into the sanctuary, then all of a sudden, I had understanding understanding comes from the knowledge of God. You don't get understanding first and then pursue the knowledge of God. See, a lot of people say, I want to, I want to walk with God, but I need some answers first. And God says, no, you come walk with me and I give you the answers. It comes through the knowledge of him. You cannot make anything a prerequisite to the knowledge of God. I don't care what your problem is today. Your answer is know the Lord, know the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we stand upon your promise today. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Father, tonight we are your children. We are the sheep of your pasture. It is you who have made us and not we ourselves. Tonight, you are our father and we are your children. You are the potter and we are the clay. We cannot shape ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves. We cannot free ourselves. But Father, one thing we can do is we can come to you. We can come to you, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. And we also, as living stones, are being fitted together, a spiritual house, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Father, I pray tonight in Jesus' name that you would begin to activate those weapons that you told me before I stood up to preach that you would put in my hand tonight. The weapons that are not of this world but are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Tonight I pull down every stronghold, every stronghold in every mind. Every stronghold in every heart, every stronghold of fear, every stronghold of guilt, every stronghold of shame, every stronghold of disobedience, every stronghold of sin, I pull it down right now in the name of Jesus. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, every desire that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, every temptation that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, I cast it down from every mind and every heart right now. In the name of Jesus, I break the power of every entanglement, every demonic entanglement. I break it off every mind and heart right now in Jesus name. And I say, you will know the Lord. 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 I say it in Jesus name. I say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This is not a moment of shame. This is a moment of freedom. 
This is a moment of freedom. This is a moment of freedom, and I declare freedom right now in Jesus' name. I tell you, God told me before I stood up here, I've given you weapons that are not of this world. I tell you, I'm armed to the teeth tonight. Not of this world, but are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Whatever stands in the way of you knowing the Lord, I break it off your life right now. In Jesus' name. Whatever exalts itself against the knowledge of God in your life, I break it right now. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. I break it. I break it off of your thinking. I break it off of your thinking. I break it. That foolishness. That foolishness is so weak and you think it's so strong. You think it's so strong. Let me tell you, that's a little piddly thing. That thing doesn't have any power. The blood of Christ has spoken. 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 I declare it in Jesus' name. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trial or tribulation or or pestilence or sword? No. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I declare tonight in Jesus' name that you are more than a conqueror. You will know the Lord. That is the promise of God. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. You say, well, I'm the weakest Christian in this room. I don't care. You're going to know the Lord. You're going to know the Lord. He said the weakest among you will be like David. And the house of David will be like God. The weak, you say, well, I'm the weakest one in this church. Good. You're strong enough to take out Goliath. You're strong enough to send armies to flight. You're strong enough to pursue the Philistines and take off their foreskins. You're strong enough to subdue nations. You're strong enough to send a thousand to flight. I'm telling you, you are mighty tonight. And whatever has come against you, I put an end to it tonight in Jesus' name. I say it's done. I say it's done. I say it's done. I draw the line in the sand. It is broken. It is broken. It is broken. It is broken in Jesus' name. But right now, you're going to make a decision to retain the knowledge of God. You're going to make a decision. I'm going to walk in this. I'm going to steward the knowledge of God. I'm going to steward the knowledge of God. I'm going to steward it. I'm going to hold on to this. I'm not going to let it go. Buy the truth tonight. Some of you just aren't buying it. You hear what I'm saying? But you say, I don't buy it. Buy it. Buy the truth and don't sell it. Buy the truth and don't sell it. And all you're getting, get understanding. Get a hold of this tonight and don't ever let it go. Make a decision. I'm going to walk in this. I'm going to walk in this. Now stand up on your feet right now. Stand up on your feet and just begin. I want you to lift your hands and open your mouth and just begin to pursue the knowledge of God right now. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. 
God, I want to know you. God, I want to know you. God, I want to know you. I want to know you more than I want riches and gold. I want to know you more than riches and gold. More than riches and gold. More than rubies. More than anything, I want to know you, Lord. Whatever was to my profit, I count as loss. That I might know you, Lord. Right now, forget financial blessing. I want to know the Lord. Right now, forget financial blessing. I want to know the Lord. One thing, one thing. One thing I do. Forgetting what is behind, I reach for what is ahead. And I press toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. That I might lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. Yes. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord. Now, Isaiah said this. He said, surely the Lord... First of all, let me ask this question. How many of you feel like the Lord has put a prophetic, a prophetic mantle on your life? And, and what I mean by that is you just feel drawn towards the prophetic. Raise your hand. Raise your hands high. Raise it 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 high. Okay? I'm giving you a responsibility, all of you. I'm giving you a responsibility. You can put your hands down now. So this room is full of people who feel drawn to the prophetic. Let me tell you what the prophetic does. The prophet Isaiah said, Surely the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue that I might know the word that sustains the weary. You know what the prophetic is? It is the ability to know the word that sustains the weary. Now the word that sustains the weary, you can't give it unless you can identify the weary. You got to be looking around. This is your assignment. Look around and find the weary. And then, and then look up to the Lord and say, now Lord, give me the instructed tongue. Because I'm believing you to give me the word that sustains the weary. To give me the word that sustains the weary. And then you go to the weary and you speak that word. Now I'm not telling you to say, thus saith the Lord. You have, blah, blah, blah. you know, in seven days the Lord shall, it doesn't have to be all that. It doesn't have to be all that. It can simply be, listen, I just want to encourage you today. Do you know Paul said, he who prophesies speaks unto men? For edification, exhortation, and comfort. Sometimes when we get weary, you know what we're getting weary with? Is retaining the knowledge of God in the midst of a season of, of, of disillusionment. In the midst of a season in which everything that we are experiencing contradicts everything we believe. That's when weariness takes place. Weariness takes place in the midst of a season in which everything we're experiencing contradicts everything we're believing. And when you're at that place where everything you're experiencing contradicts everything you're believing, you know what you need? You need a word. You need a word that will sustain you. Now, this room is full of prophetic people. Full of prophetic people. You have a job to do now. Get that word. Go find the weary and sustain them. And I'm not just talking about in the church. I'm talking about in your family. And some of the folks you think are just putting you off, 
giving you the cold shoulder. She walked right by me and didn't say a word. She's too weary to say a word to you. Instead of being offended that she ignored you, you need to look up and say, God, give me a word to sustain her. Because walking in the knowledge of God gets hard sometimes. Retaining the knowledge of God gets hard. And at that moment where it gets tough for me, I need you to see me. I need you to pray with me and for me. I need you to take me by my hand and say, the Lord gave me a word that will sustain you. And you know what? I'm the pastor of this church. It's primarily my responsibility to give you the word. But I can name time after time after time in the last 10 years of my tenure here in which you, some of you, have given me words that have sustained me during a weary moment. I mean stuff that broke things in my heart and mind, that answered questions I was asking the Lord, that pointed me in the direction of the new season that God wanted to take us, and it came right out of the house. I remember we were in the middle of, we were having this early morning prayer meeting at 5.30 a.m. It was a sovereign move of God. It was supposed to last 40 days, and it lasted two and a half years. And when we were about a year and a half into it, I almost quit. I went one morning because it was only, it was down to one person. Kevin Carrington. And one morning, it was me and Kevin Carrington, just the two of us, and I was going to tell him after prayer that morning, today's the last day, we're done. And after prayer was over, he looked at me and he said, you know, Pastor, as we were praying, the Lord showed me Saul. He was supposed to wait for Samuel, but he made the sacrifice. And the scripture says, as soon as he made the sacrifice, Samuel came walking around the corner. And I thought if you would have just waited a couple more minutes, the breakthrough would have come. And he said, you know, the Lord showed me that sometimes we quit things just a moment before God's about to break through. (laughs) I said, Kevin, that's, that's God, man. You don't know. That's God. I was just about to tell you today is our last prayer meeting, but God's about to break through, man. We're not quitting because I just got that word and that word sustains me. That word sustains me. You know, I've been going through a season where stuff that used to be easy suddenly is difficult for me. And the Lord is pushing me into areas that are not so easy for me. And I was was struggling with it a little bit. I had lunch with Pastor Daniel yesterday. And he said, you know, the Lord put this on my heart that some things in our life are like springs. They just spring up. But other things are like wells, and we got to dig down to get to it. He said, and some of us, we just want to hang out at the spring." And just get the stuff that comes up naturally. But sometimes God wants us to dig down to the well. And get the stuff we got to drill down deep to get to. I was like, dude, that was the word of the Lord, man. That word sustained me. Like that word. I've been meditating on that. I was sharing it with my wife. I shared it with several people. Pastor Daniel gave me this word. Let me tell you something. You are powerful. You are powerful. And God will put the word in your mouth that will sustain the weary. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, I speak blessing right now in Jesus' name. Blessing, strength, encouragement, wholeness over every heart and every mind in the name of Jesus. Strengthen and encourage. Strengthen and encourage right now. And release into every heart and every mind and every mouth the word that sustains the weary. That we might be sustained. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise in this house. Give him a shout of praise.